Oh, is that on? Okay, thanks. What is wrong there? Okay, I should leave that on the video with my face right in the front of it looking at it like, what is wrong? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Okay, well, good morning, guys. Good morning. You guys open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And let's pray. Father God, we do thank you that uh, we can be here this day and we can get into your word. Uh, Father, we pray that you would please do a mighty work in each of our hearts today, Lord, as, as we just prayed even in worship, Lord. We're, we're not here to be entertained. We're not here to just put in a religious duty. Father, we, uh, we want you to work in each of our hearts mightily. So, Father, would you please do that work in our lives today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isaac, you want to give it a shot? All right. Yep, we got some more kids back here, so why don't we go ahead and... Cool, you guys are going to learn how to clean churches, okay? That's what you're going to do today, okay? They're just joking. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right, guys, so last week, you know, we, uh, we talked about the letter to Thyatira, which was also known as the corrupt church. You know, we saw how dangerous it can be uh, to have someone influence us in a negative way. In their case, it was that woman Jezebel. Uh, that, was re that was really leading them to participate in all kinds of sexual sin, idolatry, uh, just some things that were damaging them. That church was warned by the Lord to repent of her works. Remember, that was specific, repent of her works, or else she and they would both face severe judgment. Today we're going to look at the letter to the fifth church in our study, which is the church of Sardis. That's known as the dead church. Let's pick it up and we'll read through the whole letter here in 3, 1 through 6. It says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name and that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name, I'm sorry, I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels." He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So when it says, these things says he, he defines himself, describes himself as the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And remember, seven is a number of completion. It's a number of fullness. So what he's communicating to us is Jesus is the, has the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He contains the fullness. And he has all authority over all the churches. Now, don't confuse this with some uh, different beliefs, which are, which are wrong. 
where they, they think that perhaps it's only Jesus and sometimes he switches to the Father and sometimes he switches to the Holy Spirit. That's not biblical. They would use a text like this and say, well, look, see, it says that he's the same. No, it's not. He has the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not the Father. They are three distinct persons of the one God. Uh, and that's hard for us to understand. Under, you know, I won't deny that. That's a difficult thing to understand. But what he's talking about is the fact, though, even though they're separate and distinct to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, especially in this church age, they work together through the church. Uh, They're very involved. It's an important piece for both of them. In fact, if you think about it, the church was officially born when the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus' disciples on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. That was the beginning of the church. The Holy Spirit was active in that. He was participating in that. Jesus dispatched the Holy Spirit to do it. And it's that same Spirit that works in and through the church today in order to keep it alive and powerful. It's the Holy Spirit who does these things. You can have all the planning in the world. You could have the nicest facilities. You could have you know, a lot of things going for you. Maybe they give you advantage to drawing people there. But for the church to be alive and powerful, it has to be the Holy Spirit who does it. Uh, you, can't, you can't force those things to happen. That's something that only the Holy Spirit can do. But just as it's possible for a believer to quench the Spirit and hinder its, the Holy Spirit working in their lives, the church collectively, when we come together as a church, can suffer that same kind of fate if the Spirit is not operating in the midst as it should. Uh, I have a funny story today. It contains two of you. you you'll know it, John. We were... <laughs> At work, John stands next to me at the podium. If you guys ever drive by, you can wave right at John and I. We're usually facing the window, looking at birds or whatever. And uh, Jose is to my right, and uh, we're all working with customers. And this guy comes in, and and he tells us, uh, he's telling me, talking to me, and he goes, yeah, I've converted my whole family over to you guys from Schwab. And, you know, and, and he goes, and that's crazy because I used to work at Schwab for years, and he's telling me this stuff, right? And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, glad to have you guys. That's thank you. And uh, he goes, yeah, the manager that I had there, he goes, he, uh, he basically, if you did not go to his church, you were not going to make it. <laughs> and he's, I, can, I can feel John trying to keep it together over here, right? And, it, and he's like, yeah, he went to some church. And, and, you know, and I said, was it him who told you that? Or did you just assume that? He goes, oh, no, his assistant manager made it very clear that if you wanted to stick around, you had to go to his church. And I'm just rolling with it, man. I'm like, Lord, keep me from sinning. Keep me from sinning. You know, let me say the right thing here, you know. And, uh, and then he goes, and it was worse. He goes, that church was like, there was people barking and doing all kinds of weird things. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like dying. And, and, and I finally couldn't take anymore because I thought he was going to crack under the pressure. And I was like... I was like, you know, I said, it's very ironic here. I said, but I actually pastor a church. And I said, this guy goes to my church and so does this guy. (laughs) And he was like, whoa, 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 I I didn't mean, I said, no, no, no. I said, the barking stuff is wrong. You know, it shouldn't be like that. Nobody should be forced to come to church, but maybe that's how I can get my church to grow is force my guys to come, you know. But it was just... It was just, it was just hilarious. I thought I, of all the people for him to tell this story to, <laughs> it had to be me, but it was just funny. But back to my point, you know, that's, that's not evidence of the spirit, bizarre things happening in church. 
you know, there's, there's a church that meets here uh, for one of the nights. And sometimes I've, I've mentioned this, if you come in and it's full of glitter because they're part of the Bethel outreach, they, they believe that it's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So they have glitter that they throw around or do whatever they do. And this is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Um, you, don't have to, you don't have to be bizarre to have evidences of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I do believe in the gifts, just so you understand where I'm coming from. I do believe in the gifts. I do believe they're still operational today. I believe the Lord can do whatever it is. I, I'm not opposed to any of them. I just believe that it needs to be biblical is all it is. Um, you know, and, and there's a fine line between quenching the spirit by not allowing any room for it, which I do think you can do. Uh, you can hold on so tight because you're so afraid of somebody doing something unbiblical that you just stop it completely and no one ever has the opportunity to do anything. Um, and then you have the other excess, which is just, it's a, you know, it's a spiritual talent show, you know, and you've got everybody kind of doing their own thing and showing off and doing stuff. And that's not cool either. Um, so I'm not necessarily talking about the gifts when, when I say this, but what I'm saying is the Holy Spirit is a necessary ingredient for a, for a, a healthy church. The Holy Spirit must be active, and sometimes how he reveals himself can be through gifts. Sometimes it can be just through what he's doing in the midst of the fellowship. It could be that the people that are coming are maturing in their faith, they're growing, uh, they're growing and, you know, more servant-hearted. They're, all the things that should be happening, the fruit of the Spirit is becoming very evident in their life. That's how the Spirit sometimes makes himself manifest. Sometimes it's in a lot of people getting saved, you know, and, and people drawing people and, you know, all that. So there's all kinds of different ways. There's not a cookie cutter pattern for how the spirit operates in every single church. Uh, but it's, it's not those bizarre things that define if you have the spirit operating or not. Uh, sometimes, a lot of times, I believe that's manufactured and uh, not necessarily an evidence of the spirit, but more of an evidence of man trying to imitate the spirit poorly, I would say. Uh, but he says, you know, in verse at the end of one, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. When he says, I know your works, just like all the other churches, they too had their list of things that they could go to and say, we do this, we do this, we do this. None of it was wrong. All of it was good. As a matter of fact, when he was listing all the things they were doing, it was good stuff. Man, they were loving, they were serving, they were sacrificial, they were doing all those things. Well, even though he doesn't list it, he says, I know you're doing good works. I know that you got some good stuff going on in your church. They have the stuff that religious people would expect from any church. If you walked into a church, there's some things that you just expect besides the coffee house and band. You know, there's some things you just expect, you know, that, that you have at church. It's interesting, though, that he says they even had a name. Now, some, some translations say a reputation. And it could go either way. They even had a name. And this name or this reputation spoke of a vibrant life within the church. It testified of it. I started thinking about that this week because, you know, what we see happening in this generation is I call it the cool name church syndrome. You know, it's like everybody has to have a cool name, uh, cool sticker, cool name, you know, cool shirts. Uh, you know, it's like it's just like you're joining a fitness club, you know, and you're advertising everywhere you go, you know. And uh, instead of boring names like that signify what kind of church it is, like Calvary Woodburn, that'd be a boring name nowadays. Uh, the current trend is to drop all references to whatever denomination or affiliation you are. That's the current trend. 
Most churches that open up nowadays have something else, like relevant church or, you know, whatever it is. They have these catchy names, and that's the trend. You don't know if they're associated with the denomination. You don't know if it's non-denominational. You don't know really anything about them because they don't put, like, First Baptist so-and-so. It's, it's, it's just kind of some name that they chose. When you think of those names, oftentimes it, it signifies life. It signifies what they're, what they're wanting to accomplish. Uh, I started kind of doing a, re- uh, a search on it. I was just curious, you know, what kind of names are out there nowadays for churches? And I found some. Uh, some of the more creative ones that I dug up online were uh, there was the encounter. You know, hey, welcome, welcome to the encounter. You know, it's a cool name. Another one was the nest of love. That would be, uh, John would not attend that church. Okay, <laughs> absolutely not. You can't even handle, you know, <laughs> love feast, right? You can't handle it. He's like, I want to even just call it something else. Okay. Uh, another one was the spot. Okay. Welcome to the spot. You know, I like this one a lot. The hell hole swamped Baptist church. See, they still kept the Baptist there, but you know, they're fiery Baptist brunts. They're, they're Southern Baptist for sure. Okay. And then this one was a really good one too. The scum of the earth church. <laughs> biblical okay so you know i just thought okay you know now i i'm not opposed to having some sort of name that signifies the heart or the vision of a church i'm not opposed to it Uh, as a matter of fact i learned the hard way that naming a church after a town really messes you up if you start out in your own living room in a different town (laughs) because people be like looking for woodburn and i was in my house in hubbard okay so it's not always the best thing to have a town you know i found that out really like i said a tough way Uh, i've even considered changing our name uh so that we're not necessarily bound to any particular place if opportunities arrive arise like if there was a building or something that we could do in jervis or hubbard or something like that just not being limited to a place just the church itself so i've kicked that around and that's still not off the table Um, but i fear that you know most of the time clever names are really picked for more marketing purposes or just to convey the cool factor uh, either of the people they would like to attend or how they themselves want to be perceived you know i I think that's a lot of what the names signify because i mean let's be honest if you know if uh, (laughs) you know you're elderly you probably would not go to the spot you know, that would not be the, the church that you think about going to, right? It kind of weeds that group out because this is, you're communicating something. You're communicating what type of environment you want to have. Uh, that's a shame because you really need the mix for a healthy church. You, you really, really need the elderly within the church. You need the young in the church. Uh, you need them all. You, you need all groups. You need the families. You need it. For it to be a healthy church, you have to have it all. Uh, it's unhealthy when it's, when it's just elderly or when it's just young families or just youth. That, that really does a disservice to the body as a whole. It makes it very hard. Sometimes you can't change it. I, I have a good friend that, you know, he, he pastors a church and they have done so many outreaches trying to get the youth and trying to get kids and younger families. And they've really struggled uh, to have it. But their whole church is elderly. And he's really like, man, I just, we need some younger families in our church. We just don't have it. And it's not due to lack of effort. Uh, They work really hard at that. Um, This church in the first century had a name that signified life, but in reality, he says, you're dead. You have a name, and it speaks of life, but you're dead. That can happen to any church, including us. 
even though it doesn't have some cool name on a church, you know, for us, you can still function as a church and be dead. Warren Rearsby, in uh, really his amazing commentary series, B series, which is great, he has a quote in there that says, Dr. Vance Havner has, frequ- has frequently reminded us that spiritual ministries often go through four stages. A man, a movement, a machine, and then a monument. And I really was thinking about that. It's so true. I, I think actually, I, I hate to say it, but it's true of Calvary Chapel. Um, you know, it started with a man. It's Chuck Smith. There's no doubt. It was a man that God used. And then it became a movement. It was big, 1,600 churches. And then it became a machine somewhere along the way for a lot of them. Not all. There's a lot of great Calvary chapels still. It can, it can suddenly become a monument, something that we look back on. And then it's funny that, you know, we talk about a name because when I came to this area, a very successful pastor in Tucson told me you should not name it, you know, Calvary Calvary anything, you should pick a different name. And that way you have more opportunity to reach other people outside of Calvary Chapel and stuff. So that thought was 12 years ago, you know, of of those types of things. See, God can do something amazing through a man, through a movement. um, But somewhere along the way, it, it becomes, instead of a living organism, it becomes an organization, it becomes, you know, this is how we do things, and we're not, we're not a, you know, we're not a denomination per se. But it becomes so that we're so tied into trying to replicate what God was doing, that sometimes we become a monument. We just, we, we have to look back to the past for what God used to do, and we try to, as a church, we, we, we try to represent that. That's a danger that can happen to Calvary Woodburn, is that, you know, we we get to the place where. Even though we didn't see anything like this on a grand scale, there's definitely been better days as far as people coming and stuff. Um, but we can all fall into that thing where you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Remember, a, a church is nothing more than a group of believers that the Holy Spirit has joined together in order to form a local body. That's what a church is. It's, it's, it's a group of believers that God has joined together to form a local body. We're part of the greater body, which is Christians across the world. Um, but, but in this fellowship, we're a local body of believers that are united and we're joined together. And we're operating as the body of Christ within this fellowship uh, to meet the needs of the people within this fellowship, to meet the needs of people you know, coming out to, to reach the lost, to equip the saved. Um, that's, that's what our church is about. But it's the Holy Spirit who does that. If a large portion of any church begins to die spiritually, or at least live in such a way that the Holy Spirit is no longer thriving in them, the entire church becomes at risk of becoming a dead man walking church. And I fear that. You know, numbers aren't everything. Um, You know, we were talking about this morning, numbers aren't everything. And I've seen highs and lows and highs and lows over the years. Um, proportionally, right? Okay, proportionally. Um, But I, you know, what what scares me is what is happening in the lives of those who come? What's happening? Have we just stalled? Have we, 
you know, I, I remember the days early in the ministry where I felt like, man, every week God was doing something profound in somebody's life. Profound. You know, um, really working on somebody's heart or, or digging up the, the garbage that had to be dealt with. Not with me prodding, trying to dig into it. Just the Holy Spirit was doing stuff. Just people were growing, maturing in their faith, um, serving, wanting to do different things. You know, like even this morning, it was refreshing to hear you say that, you know. And it's been a long time since anybody has been like, hey, why don't we do this? I, I just And I, I sat there this week and I'm like, are we a church that has a name, but we're dead men walking is it is are we just trying to keep this thing going or is it the holy spirit that's really doing something i want signs of life and that doesn't mean bust out with your flags and start running around okay <laughs> yeah you bring the gl- bring the glitter bomb you know we'll have to prove to people we're alive but you know but what's happening spiritually What's happening spiritually? And eat, because remember, if the church is just a group of believers that are, that are joined together to form a local body, if, if we're at a place where we're stagnant, where, where people are not growing and maturing in their faith and this, this fire, this zeal for reaching others and, and you know, growing in their own relationship with the Lord, if, if all that has really just tapered off, then what happens is the church itself dies. The church dies because that's not a living church. The church is is the Holy Spirit operating through individual believers working together. You know, um, I'm grateful because honestly, this was, (laughs) of course, this was, as I'm reading that this week, I'm like, Lord, don't let it be us. I don't want it to be us. I, I don't want to be doing this in the flesh. I don't want to be just keeping something alive that you're not doing. Um, but then I, I read the next verse and I felt like it was really helpful. You know, Verse 2, it says, Be watchful. Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. The first thing that he says is be watchful. To give strict attention to, not just this vague awareness, not just we come into this place and we, you know, we sing a few songs and we pray and, you know, we listen to a message and then we grab some coffee and go. That's kind of a vague awareness of church, okay? We we just walk in and out and we do some churchy things. Being watchful is understanding that we need to give strict attention to it. Strict attention to it. It's important and we're watching it. We're watching it carefully. You know, I think the tendency of any dying organization is for the leadership and the remaining few to stop being watchful. That's a sign of something dying. As they stop being watchful. They stop looking for new opportunities. They stop looking for something to improve the organization. It could be work, it could be ministry, it could be anything. But suddenly that stops. Nobody's even thinking about how do we make this better? How do we, how do we contribute to, to make this stronger? Everybody stops. I think that's the first thing that happens. Another thing that happens is they stop caring for the things that still remain. Uh, I think of, it took me back to my restaurant days. So I was in high school. I was living uh, 
At that point, I was graduating as a senior, or I was supposed to, and uh, we had moved to a small town in Sierra Vista. My mom, who was, we hadn't been living with her for a few years. Um, Irene and I were pretty much in an apartment with her mom, and then we we moved out there because I wasn't doing well in school, and I probably wasn't going to graduate. And my mom was like, if you guys come and live with me here, I'll support you guys. You don't have to work, and then finish, get your, you know, get your diploma. So that was the plan, and then she got transferred a month after we got there. So suddenly, we're living, you know, 20 miles out of town. Irene couldn't drive at the time. Um, I, we were young, and and I was just like, now I got to pay for this trailer too, and so I had to go back to work. So I'm working, and um, you know, I've shared the story of how you know some teachers understood the situation I was in because I was working 40 hours a week trying to finish high school, trying to pay the bills. And uh, they would show me some grace by letting me sleep. Uh, my, my psychology teacher would let me sleep during first period. And she passed me because she knew I was just exhausted. I was getting out at 1 o'clock in the morning and, you know, it's right after high school going and working, you know. Um, but in this restaurant, I was in a dying restaurant. It had a name, but it was dying. See, so when I, when I first started at this restaurant, I think it was Casa Martinez. And I, I walked in, and they're like, we need a dishwasher. I'm like, I can wash dishes. So I started washing dishes. About a week or two later, the, the chef quit. And with the chef, he took all of his recipes. Nobody had them. So they, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this message, so you may be here a while. Okay, but so he took all of his recipes with him. And I was the only other employee besides the waitresses. And they're like, you want to be the chef? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> And I had, I had some common sense in cooking because I had to cook for myself. I grew up that way, cooking for myself. Uh, and <laughs> they handed me this menu, and it's Mexican food. And basically, when somebody ordered something, I had to look at the menu and read the description and figure it out. <laughs> so that's what I did. And the owner, I remember Charlie, he was a jerk. Uh, in God's name, he was a jerk. Um, he, he knew he was managing a dying business, and he didn't care. Literally, uh, chips would be, or the tortillas would be moldy because we were dead. Nobody was coming in, so he'd have me fry them for chips. So, you know, I mean, he didn't care anymore. He didn't care. He didn't care that I didn't know how to cook stuff. I had literally, I'd cook fish. Like, I, was, I remember one time specifically where I'd never cooked a fish in my life, and somebody ordered a fish, and I'm reading the menu of how it is, and I did my best. I didn't know how to clean a fish. I didn't know anything. And I slit the thing in half. I knew that much. And I fried it. And I put it out. And the guy comes walking back to me in the kitchen. And he goes, you've never cooked a fish a day in your life, have you? And I was like, no. He goes, can I show you? And he showed me how to cook a fish. Because <laughs> I didn't have a clue. That was a dying business. Everybody stopped caring. The waitresses stopped caring. The owner stopped caring. Nobody cared anymore. It wasn't there. And that's what happens to churches that are dying. Uh, not only do they not, they're not vigilant to look and see, do we have opportunities with what we have? Can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do that? They stop thinking that way. But then they stop caring about the things that do exist. Whether it be children's ministry or, you know, set up, tear down, uh, worship, whatever. They just stop caring. They're just like, whatever. It's there. They don't care. That's a dying church. That, that, that's something where you don't care if it's there or not. 
it's a dead man walking church when that happens. And it's just a matter of time before Jesus says, I will shut it down. I will shut it down. Because he's not going to have a lifeless ministry representing him. Okay? I started thinking, and in, in, uh, this, again, I've taught through Nehemiah before, but this passage really just popped in my head. And I'd like you to turn there. I know it's going to be tough, but turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4. You're like, it's not on the screen. No, it's a, almost a whole chapter. Okay? Nehemiah chapter 4. It's in the Old Testament. I'll give you that hint. Okay? <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 4, right after Ezra. I'm going to read it to you, but follow along, because I think it's a picture of what can happen. See, before I read it, I, I, I want to explain something to you. When he tells us to watch, one of the passages that popped in my head immediately also was in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. When I heard watchful, that verse just popped in my head. Be watchful. There's an enemy that wants to destroy you. And there's no doubt that the enemy will be found near any church that is fading. The enemy's going to be there. But I think instead of manifesting himself as a lion that's coming in to devour, he shows up as a vulture at first. And a vulture just circles the dying carcass. He doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to go in for the kill. He just circles. He just circles. Just circles. Waiting for the death that he knows is inevitable because he sees the signs of death. He changes to a lion if that church takes heed to the Lord's warnings and attempts to strengthen the things that remain. Now, instead of waiting for the death to occur, he pounces on it, trying to cause death to occur. That's what the roaring lion does now. He now is going to make death happen. But if the church is just fading, why waste the energy? Just let them die. We'll eat their carcasses when they're done. If they're trying to strengthen themselves, now it's attack. Now it's attack. Nehemiah chapter 4, I think, is an illustration in the Old Testament of this. It says, But so it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of the rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Verse 4, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach upon their heads and give them a plunder as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall. And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashadites, heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. 
Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses." And it happened when the enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held spears and shields and bows and wore, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built the wall and those who carried the burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction, with the other hand held a weapon. Every one of the builders had its sword girded at his side as he built. When the wall was down, the enemies didn't care. There was no problem. When they saw that the wall was, when they were strengthening the things, the foundations that remained, when they went back to strengthen those foundations, suddenly the enemies became aware of them and became incensed against them. Suddenly they wanted to attack. They wanted to stop. They made fun of them. It'll never make it. Look at this. You know, if they build something, oh, a fox will knock it over. It'll never stand. They failed before. It'll fail again. When that didn't work and they started sending people to threaten them, then they decided we're going to attack and kill them. Remember, the vulture became the lion. And that's what the enemy does. He'll, he'll be around. He'll be circling around, influencing you, doing all kinds of stuff, but just watching you die spiritually. Just let you die. But the minute you try to strengthen the foundation, you better be watchful. You better be aware because if you try to strengthen your foundation spiritually, the enemy will attack. Nehemiah was a wise leader. He says, okay, I'm going to position the men in the areas where he's going to attack. I'm going to have some that are wearing armor, some that are carrying the sword, some who are working with the shovel. We have to rebuild the foundation. It has to be done. But not only will you have a shovel, but you will have the sword with you. What is, the, what is the sword, guys? It's the word of God. Man, I'll tell you guys, we can never let go of the word. And we're strong in word. But are we lacking in spirit? Are we lacking in the Holy Spirit working in us and through us individually? So that corporately, the Lord is thriving within this ministry. We've got to strengthen the foundation again. We got to take the stuff that's dying and we got to make it strong. We got to rebuild those gaps, close the gaps. We got to do those things. We can't let it stay. I don't want the enemy just circling like a vulture waiting for us to go away. 
We've got to look at it and say, where am I spiritually? Am I growing? Am I maturing? Am I serving? Am I doing the things that a healthy church needs? Am I doing those things? Or am I just sitting here watching this die? And if you choose to do that, if you choose to remember, hold fast, and repent and do those things, get ready. There's going to be some great things, but there's going to be some difficulties. I know it. I'm experiencing it. I know it. When you make that decision that you want to see what the Lord strengthen the things that remain before they die, challenges happen. Difficulties occur. There's things that happen, whether it be family, it could be finances, it could be all health, it could be all kinds of things. But that's where you have to grab the weapons, grab the tools, and start strengthening those things and be determined and understand, don't fear these things. Don't fear what they say. Remember our God. That's why I wanted to do that song this week of Never Once. We haven't done that for a long, long time. Man, that song was really important to me as we started this ministry and dealing with all kinds of difficulties. And man, I just remember how faithful he was. And I felt like we needed to be reminded of that, of God's faithfulness. He's been faithful before. He will be faithful again. But we can't just sit here dying. We can't. Why did the Lord tell them to strengthen that that was ready to die? like they were a smoldering wick that was about to be extinguished. The CSB translates the end of verse 2 this way. It says, For I have not found your works complete before my God. The translation that says perfect, it, it gives the, you know, in our mind we think, oh, it's just, you know, it's not perfect in the sense that we think of perfection. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I have not found your works complete. In other words... They had not yet accomplished what the Lord intended them to accomplish. Each church has a purpose that the Lord determines. It's Him. He's the holder of the seven stars. The purpose for this ministry may be slightly different than the purpose for other ministries, and that's okay. They could be just a whole different bunch of channels that God is working through different churches for different things. But... If this church exists, if it was in the hands of the one who holds the seven stars, he had a purpose for it existing. He had a purpose for it being right here. He had a purpose for the people that are part of it being in it. There's a purpose. And he says, it's not complete. It's not complete. It's not finished yet. In our heavenly transcript, if that church dies, you would have an incomplete on your transcript. It wasn't just that you failed, it was that you didn't complete it. You didn't finish. So how do we set out to rekindle that smoldering flame? In verse 3 it says, Remember therefore how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Remember, the first step is remember. How, remember how you first received and how you first heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come to you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Remember how you received. Remember how you heard. Do you remember 
when you had a vibrant walk with the Lord? Do you remember when, when it was so real to you that you felt like, seriously, he was guiding your every step? Do you remember the, the convictions that were within you? Do you remember the encouragement? Do you remember watching something and like the Lord was speaking to you like it was a parable that he was trying to teach you through his word? Do you remember those things? Do you remember where everything in life was like related to what God was teaching you? Every interaction with the customer or every interaction with the family member or everything. You felt like this is the Lord. I felt that way with that guy this week. I mean, you know, did you feel, do you remember those days? Do you remember when everything was God? He was doing everything and he was involved and you were so aware of him. Or has it been so long that you, since you felt that way that you don't even realize you're dying? You're that smoldering wick. You're not dead. But it's just a little bit of smoke coming out right now. You can't even remember when God had worked like that in your heart again. So strengthen that. Remember that. Fan that flame. Do you remember? You didn't do anything to have that feeling. You didn't do anything. You didn't, you didn't go to school and figure out how to feel that way. You didn't learn it during a Bible study. This is what you do to feel like you're really close to God. You didn't learn that. It was a gift from the Holy Spirit to you. It was a gift. It was an outpouring of His Holy Spirit on your life. It was an overflowing, a torrent of living water flowing from you. It was a gift. Remember that. The gift giver still gives. He's still willing to do it. But have you asked? When's the last time you asked? When's the last time you told him, Lord, man, I haven't felt your presence in my life for years, months, whatever it is. I go to church, I read my word. I don't feel like you're close. I don't want that anymore. I want to be close to you, Lord. Ask him. Begin there. Remember. Remember what it was like. Start there. Then he says, hold fast to the truth. Hold fast. Don't let anyone or anything steal the truth that you know. Don't let the world steal it from you. Don't let the philosophies of man steal it from you. Don't let your college you know, professor, if, if he's pammering you for your faith, don't let him steal it. Don't let your problems steal it. Hold fast, hold fast to the truth. Hold fast. Hold fast. Just keep it close. Keep it tight. Don't, don't let anybody take it from you. And he says, and Repent. Repent of the things that have been killing you spiritually. What has been killing you spiritually? Is it influence? Is it the people you're hanging with? Is it the people you're listening to or watching? Is it the stuff that you've suddenly compromised for so long that it's become normal in your life? It's no longer, there's not even conviction anymore. You're able to do it with zero conviction. What's killing you spiritually? What's killing you? Repent of it. Turn from it. Turn from it. 
If not, Jesus says to any church found in that condition, Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. He says, I will shut you down. I will be the one who closes you. It's not the enemy. It's the Lord. Fortunately, not all were were nearly dead. Just like in most churches that have their fair share of walking dead Christians, there's usually some who are not in that category. They're healthy, they're alive, the Spirit is moving mightily in them, and He's doing great things in and through their lives. Every church has those people. Thank God. He says in verse 4, You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He overcomes, he who ever overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches, or to the churches. He says, these people, there are some people in the church that have not defiled their garments. In other words, they have not become corrupted or stained by the world. These people, he reassures them and says, listen, I see you are doing the right thing in the midst of this dying church. I see it. I see that you're still alive. I see that you're still growing. And you will be clothed in white garments, which is a symbol of righteousness, acceptance from the Father. He says, your name's not going to be blotted out from the book of life. You you know, you're, you're there. You're solid. You're in there you're truly saved and you're born again and these things are happening in your life. The, the signs of, again, being saved. Spiritual health. Instead, just as they have faithfully confessed their, fit, their faith in Jesus before men, he will faithfully confess the name, their names before the Father and all the angels. He says, you've confessed me before men, I will confess you before the Father. In fact, he says... For they are worthy. They're worthy. I don't know about you, but I, I, I want to be worthy on that day. I want to be worthy. If Jesus died for my sins and gave me the ability to go to heaven for eternity, I want him to look at me and say, you were worthy of that death. Not that I earned worthiness. Not in my own righteousness that I've somehow earned, but in His righteousness that I have faithfully displayed. That's what I want. I want Him to look at me and say, man, you have faithfully displayed my righteousness. You've lived the life of someone who is saved. You've done it. That's what I want to be. That's the worthiness that I want. When Jesus comes or He draws me home, you know, I want to be declared by him to be worthy of his acceptance and grace. I don't want to walk through this life being a smoldering wick that's in constant danger of being extinguished. I don't want to live that way. Nor do I want that for our church. I I don't want to be sitting here thinking all the time, when's, when's the hammer going to drop? When is the guillotine going to fall? When are we done? When is it going to happen, Lord? I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to think that way. 
Because of that, you know, I want to invite you guys today to join me in asking the Lord to set our hearts aflame again for him. Ask him to do it again. I want him to make our church alive again. I don't care how many people come. I want them to be living. I want a living relationship with the Lord. And I want people that I pastor to want that. To want that living relationship with the Lord. Because once there's life again, and we strengthen the things that are dying, then the other things will start to happen. But sometimes you've got to build the wall. You've got to go back to those, that heap of ashes and build it up again. The foundation. It's what we've got to have. That's why today the title of the message is Remember, Hold Fast, and Repent. We need to remember what God has done in each of our lives. We need to hold fast because we're strong in word. We teach the word constantly. But I believe there's some repenting that needs to be done individually. All of us, not just you, all of us repenting for maybe the, the attitude that we have of what church is. What does it mean to be part of a body? What does it mean? And maybe repent from some of those things that have been killing us spiritually. Turn from it so that we can be thriving once again with the Holy Spirit working in and through us, okay? So the plan is simply this. Um, Drew's going to do a few songs for us. A couple songs. And I'm going to sit over here and I'm going to be praying. And anybody who would like to have prayer, I'm going to pray with you, okay? If you want me to wear a mask, I'll put a mask on. If you don't want me to, that's fine, whatever. I'm good either way. I just want to pray with you. It's been a long time since we prayed together. And if the Lord has touched your heart and shown you some things that perhaps you need to ask him, you know, need to repent of, or perhaps just ask him, I I don't want to live like this anymore. I, I want that thriving relationship with God once again. Then let's ask him to do it, just as his word says. Let's ask him to do it and let him begin that work in us, okay? So we'll just take a few minutes. This won't be long and drawn out, okay? All right.